monetary policy. This is probably the first time where the Fed and maybe other central banks are starting to make it clear uh, that that isn't going to continue, although even now uh, monetary policy is still pretty loose. But it, it's something that maybe investors have now got to get their heads around, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think yeah, we saw the taper tantrum back in 13 as an indication of Fed being very sensitive now to the impact on markets and on sentiment for, for the direction they take it. So I suspect they're going to try to run the clock as hard as they can to keep uh, investors from reacting too sharply to a higher interest rate environment, which is inevitable because of inflation and because of growth. So uh, it'll take time. I think it's the capacity of central banks to throttle this move will be the key and how investors react. So it'll be a very challenging transition period, I doubt. Toby, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this week. In Australia, the ASX 200 is off three quarters of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about one and a quarter percent. The Cosby in South Korea is off uh, three quarters of a percent. Futures markets indicating a decline of about 200 points in the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Thank you very much for listening this week. Have a great weekend. Do please join me again on a Monday morning. Uh, stay tuned for back chats coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, cool in the mornings, uh, sunny intervals during the day, a maximum temperature of around 19 degrees. And then the outlook is for sunny periods over the weekend and temperatures rising slightly. Temperature right now is 16 degrees, 73% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Andrew Shorsky with the Half Hour News. Officials will take stock of the fifth wave of coronavirus infections today as they review a range of social distancing measures introduced a week ago. The SAR confirmed 14 COVID cases yesterday, five of them locally transmitted. The review is expected to consider whether a ban on evening dine-in services at restaurants and the closure of venues such as bars, gyms and cinemas should continue beyond the initial 14 days. The Center for Health Protection's Dr. Chuang Shukwan was asked yesterday about the progress of the outbreak. It is still a bit early to say whether the outbreak has been contained with the discovery of the recent uh, even linked cases because they are not uh, from the quarantine center. They are detected in the community. So they have spent some time in the community and that would also cause some transmission. The government will also announce details of a new round of anti-epidemic funding today. Earlier this morning, the authorities lifted the first of two lockdowns at buildings in Tunmun that were ordered after a nurse and a nursing student who works in clinic, clinics in the town tested preliminary positive for COVID. Officials tested 380 residents at JC Place with no cases found. An operation at Hoytech Gardens is continuing. Officials say the student probably con- contracted the virus while visiting a patient with a doctor. However, she did, she did not work directly with the other nurse. And Dr. Chuang says they're still working out how the virus spread. One of the nurse is a part-time nurse who accompanied the doctor to see the one of the cases confirmed earlier on the 3rd of January. So we consider that incident may be the likely source of infection for that nurse. As for how come the second nurse get infected, uh, it is possible that there were some silent transmission in the clinic setting among the staff of that clinic. So both nurses worked in more than one clinic. That's why we have to check uh, when the other staff had contact with them during that period of time. 
In London, Buckingham Palace has announced that Queen Elizabeth's second son, Prince Andrew, is to lose his royal patronages and military titles. It comes as he faces a civil case in the United States over claims he sexually assaulted a woman when she was 17, an allegation he has consistently denied. Rupert Wheelock, a retired British Army colonel, said the service personnel would welcome the decision. And I think it is very awkward and uncomfortable for serving soldiers to have to uh, pay uh, toasts and tributes to anyone who is in an honorary position uh, who doesn't match the standards, the high standards that are expected of our armed forces uh, in the 21st century. And clearly, uh, Prince Andrew is, is in that situation. And that's the news from RTHK. Morning and welcome to Back Chat with Janice Wong and me, Andrew Work. TGIF. It's Friday the 14th, and today on Back Chat, we're going to try to keep up with the fast moving Omicron news, and then we will look at the tempest engulfing Britain's party animal in chief, also known as Prime Minister Boris Johnson. As Omicron spreads, Hong Kong finds more local cases. The latest COVID 19 cluster is linked to a hot pot restaurant, reviving fears of spreader events past. Hundreds of residents in Tuen Mun queued up to get tested, with some complaining of long waiting times up to five hours and chaotic arrangements. Authorities have deemed the district a high-risk area because of a higher number of infections linked to a pharmacy there. Infections tied to an investment bank rippled outward, triggering the evacuation of residents in a building after vertical transmission of the virus was detected. And if haters gotta hate, then pontificators gotta pontificate. Some experts have suggested double masking. New research says cannabis can smother the coronavirus spike. And one local expert claims the current Omicron outbreak could peter out by Lunar New Year. Who knows? Our guests today. They will be in the hot seat to get you the answers. After 9.15, we will talk about British Prime Minister Boris Johnson after his apology for attending a BYOB party during the UK's first COVID lockdown back in May 2020. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, <clears throat> Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or just give us a call on 2338-8266. And now let's get to our guests in the studio today. We welcome Dr. Charles Ung. He is a medical doctor practicing in Hong Kong and uh, has expertise in public health and a master's from John Hopkins in that area. Dr. Charles Ng, welcome to the show. Good morning, Hong Kong. Good And good morning, Andrew. Thanks for inviting hey, good morning, me. Good morning, good morning. Hey. And Professor Malik Pierce joins us on phone. He's the chair of virology at HKU School of Public Health right here in Hong Kong. Yes. All right, let's uh, first look at the uh, current situation, maybe. Uh, Professor Perez, uh, there were um, 14 new COVID-19 cases yesterday and uh, less than 10 preliminary ones. Do you think the latest outbreak has been contained? Well, I think it's a bit too early to, to say that it has been contained. Uh, I mean, while um, almost all the cases can be traced to likely sources, the point is some of them are being detected out in the community, not within quarantine. I mean, of course, if cases are detected in quarantine, that means they have no opportunity to transmit. But when they are being detected in the community, that means by the time they are detected, they have had the chance to transmit so that they could have generated further chains of transmission. So I think, you know, the, the Center for Health Protection has done a fantastic job in in, in the contact tracing they have been doing, but I think it's a bit premature to be overconfident at this point. 
We're looking at uh, developments now. Do you think it's possible that uh, the outbreak will end by early February, as suggested by your um, HKU colleague, Yung Kwok Yung, yesterday? Well, I'm sure we all hope that to be the case, but I think um, we should be careful in relaxing our guard too much. I mean, I think um, I know the government is uh, considering the uh, the, uh, the restrictions that were imposed and maybe there could be some modification to them, but I, I don't think we are out of the woods yet. All right, Dr. Ng, what's your assessment of the current situation? Are, are things under control? I think I think it's um, cautiously optimistic. Uh, Professor Yoon expected uh, a an, an exponential increase in cases because of some in, uh, invisible uh, transmission around Tun Moon. That's uh, expect uh, that that that's there in, this, in the community. So, um, but but so far there has only been a few to ten cases uh, in the community, and people have been very compliant and, and they've been very very willing uh, to uh, go to testing centres voluntarily. And, and kudos to them. I mean, um, it's helping Hong Kong, it's helping society. Um, I know there were uh, some long queues, uh, but we can talk about that later. And uh, this testing is one. Very important step for Hong Kong citizens uh, and, and to keep this uh, under control. So I urge everyone uh, in Tun Moon to go to voluntary testing. I mean, people are, are willing to go out and get the testing now. The other thing we've seen is an uptick in people getting their first vaccine, right? It looked like we were going to stall out at 70%. I, I was confidently predicting we would never hit 70% because we had really plateaued. But with this Omicron variant and this, this little local outbreak, it seems like uh, people are starting to show up again. Is, there, is, is that a shift that you're seeing happening? And is there a mental shift happening there? I, I think there there is. So um, to to some extent, uh, we you know we 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 have to be very careful about the Omicron variant because it has shown to be more infectious. There are research papers, in fact, suggesting that more viral particles stay in the upper respiratory tract system, much like the influenza we've been experiencing for the last decades, more than the lower respiratory tract. So it is more infectious, and there are some research papers suggesting that it's starting to affect more pediatric patients. That's children, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think parents play a bigger role in urging their students to get vaccinated, and and that um, th that that might fundamentally shift the mentality of people to get vaccinated uh, because uh, we all know uh, the main. Uh, the main gap is in the elderly right now. Yeah. So perhaps getting their children to vaccinate and themselves um, uh, to get vaccinated might prompt more elderly to get vaccinated because that you know the elderly don't make their health decisions uh, in Hong Kong. They're, they're mainly a, a fam familial discussion, uh, most uh, most of the time urged by their family members. Mm. All right, I just want to go back to a point. Uh Professor Perez, you made earlier that uh, the government is expected to make a decision later today on uh, whether to extend the uh, current uh, anti-COVID measures that is supposed to expire at the end of next week. You mentioned possible modifications. Do you think it's likely that the measures will be extended or, or is there possible uh, room for relaxation? Well, I mean, I, there may be some room for relaxation of some measures, but I don't think um, we, sh you know, we are in a situation where we can relax everything at this stage um, and I and I think I just want to pick up on the point that was made before about vaccination I think that is the vaccination of the elderly citizens of Hong Kong that I think is the most fundamental thing we, we really need to achieve because um, otherwise we are vulnerable even if we come through this particular outbreak 
sure that within the next six months we will face more and we may or may not be successful again. So I think this is really the last chance for our elder citizens to take up the first course of vaccination, leaving aside the boosters and those who are eligible for boosters, uh, please take up those boosters as well. I guess you got to hit them where it hurts. And the, the announcement they weren't going to be allowed to go to dim sum restaurants, you know, probably prompted a lot of the elderly to get out. You know, do they have to then hit the, the indoor and outdoor dance groups and say, listen, no no dancing for, for elderly people unless you've been vaccinated? I mean, what other measures could they take to encourage this category of people to get boosted, to get uh, their shots? Well, I mean, uh, I think those might have played a role, but I suspect the, the 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 fact that they perceived that they were no longer shielded by by the rest of Hong Kong, or presumably, also played a role. And I think that this is why we really also need to um, uh, expand the vaccine um, the vaccine centres and give priority to to the elders to get vaccinated. Uh, Dr. Ung, what do you think? Is, it, is, it, is there a way to target the elderly and a way to encourage them in particular to go out there and get that first vaccine shot? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. Um, you, you talked about getting out to vaccinate the elderly. Uh, the government has been trying to find a way to get into the elderly rooms and, and, and the elderly residences to get them vaccinated because some of them are bed-bound and, and not able to move. And some of them just don't know the way around Hong Kong. Mm. As you saw in the news uh, TV yesterday, uh, they had difficulty even queuing up and knowing where to get tested, not to mention being vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Professor Perez, uh, I just want to go back to my earlier question about uh, you know the relaxation of uh, the possible relaxation of rules. You said uh, it may be possible. Which areas do you think uh, uh, we can look at? Well, I mean, I think uh, places like outdoor sports venues. Um, you know, I mean, transmission really has been taking place within indoor settings, uh, particularly with in a mask off setting. I mean, of course, I know you, you, you uh, play sports without masks, but but in an outdoor setting, um, I think the chances are, are much lower. Um, so I think those are some of the areas where um, some consideration could be made. I think the risk uh, in that type of setting is primarily the changing room. So if things can be arranged in such a way that the venue itself is open, but um, the changing room use is minimized, uh, that might reduce um, uh, potential risks. All right. Uh, later and uh, later on in the program, we will talk about the uh, possible chimney effect or, or vertical transmission of COVID-19 at two residential blocks in uh, Taipo and North Point, uh, which some experts believe illustrates the high transmissibility of COVID-19. Um, and it's because of uh, recent cases at these housing blocks that uh, experts like uh, Professor David Ho and Yun Kwok Yong, who we uh, talked about earlier, has suggested uh, people wear two masks. Um, first of all, Dr. Ng, would that really offer us better protection against uh, more transmissible variants such as uh, Omicron. So, very interesting again. Um, since uh, Professor Yun mentioned this, I have seen multiple Instagram memes, satirical, being satirical on Professor Yun. Um, some um, I can show you uh, showing him as a figurine wearing five elongated surgical masks, um, which is very comical. Um, but this actually has uh, evidence. And, and That evidence mainly comes from CDC, where they conducted a study in which they showed that wearing a cloth mask 
over a surgical mask improves the fit of surgical masks, especially mm. around the sides of it. Because imagine us, um, some of the Asian people, even Caucasian, uh, we have slimmer faces, we have uh, smaller facial areas, and the mask might not cover these sides well. And hence, there is some airflow around the sides of these vents, and when the air escapes, they bring the virus in and out um, uh, to and fro through that area. And that, that is not what we want if we, want, uh, if we wear a mask. And wearing that cloth mask actually improves the fit of it. Um, and, and that study uh, goes further to show that uh, one person wearing the mask um, um, can uh, protect the person by uh, 85% uh, from 85% of the viral particles, where, whereas two people wearing the mask at the same time uh, can increase their protection to 96%. So um, I'm very glad that we uh, Hong Kong people have very high compliance wearing masks compared to some of the Western countries now. Um, and, and what we can do further uh, to increase the protection is for some people who find that the masks are not fitting to wear cloth masks over. Now, and there is another issue of wearing N95 masks. Uh, that is not too recommended because of a few reasons. First, uh, because it requires fit tests. So not everybody is fit to wear an N95 mask, and there are basically two to three types of it. If you don't wear an N95 mask correctly, you're actually it's actually worse than wearing a surgical mask. Um, and secondly, it, as Professor Yoon mentioned, it's expensive. You don't expect... Uh, uh, elderlies and uh, people uh, earning the average wage to uh, be ex uh, be expected to afford us uh, N95 masks every single day. Mm. So I think that uh, suggestion is very uh, is very good actually, and it's in accordance to the CDC's newest uh, guidelines. Gotcha. It's funny you say that about the fit. My Chinese wife always says my masks don't fit properly because my nose is too big, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why my glasses fog up all the time. You know, but the, the fogging glasses do suggest that there is air escaping in places where it shouldn't. There is, there is, and um, uh, interestingly, CDC actually uh, also provided another alternative: is simply to not untuck, which means that uh, the sides of your mask there, there are ties there, and sometimes it, the fitting, the loose fitting, could be due to that uh, uh, slightly longer ties and usual, and you, you can actually tie them up, uh, tie a knot, and then tuck them uh, into the sides of your face. And that could improve fit as well. So, you know, in a greater scheme of things, this actually shows that some, some Hong Kong people, even professionals, so those Instagram accounts are from some anesthesiologists, some doctors, some medical workers, they judge before looking at the facts. So I urge people to get the facts straight before you judge. You can judge, there's freedom of speech, but you need to get the facts straight because otherwise you're spreading misinformation like forest fire and that's not that's the least thing that we want because the government is spending a lot of uh, money on marketing and telling people to get vaccinated and wearing masks. Sure. That, yeah, disinformation is a real problem. Professor Puris, uh, what, what other forms of misinformation are out there that concern you? Well, I mean, there's an endless list of misinformation, I guess. Um, starting with the uh, with the concept that you know the COVID-19 is is not a real disease, etc. But but I think what is more practicable is the issues about um, uh, vaccination and the harms that vaccination do. And and there are really incredibly sophisticated um, a lot of effort gone into some of these. Um, uh, YouTube videos that are being circulated, and I'm and I'm amazed that people are taking so much of effort into deliberately 
misinforming the public. And I think uh, this is really a very concerning situation, not just for COVID-19, obviously. I mean, this is a major problem for, uh, for, for our future generations, how to cope with uh, this type of misinformation. And uh, we've just been talking about uh, the possibility or, or the need to wear uh, two masks uh, because of a more transmissive uh, Omicron variant. What about the other measures we, we are used to taking, like uh, washing our hands, um, using disinfectant? Is that still um, useful against the Omicron? Um, yes, I mean, uh, it, it, you know, uh, the hand hygiene is important, not just against Omicron, but also against other respiratory pathogens and other uh, agents as well. So I think we should keep uh, keep up uh, that uh, good habit that I think, uh, you know, large proportion of the Hong Kong community are following. Uh, but I think uh, with Omicron, the particular increase in transmissibility is the increased amount of virus in the uh, upper airways. And some of the work comes from our own laboratory. It's 70-fold higher than Delta, which itself is uh, a very transmissible virus. So, it just means that the amount of virus getting into the air as you breathe in and out is uh, exponentially greater than for previous variants. So airborne transmission is, as, as you can see from some of the episodes that have taken place in this recent outbreak in restaurants where people uh, many tables away have got infected. Um, so, so that is the major challenge that we face with Omicron. Is Omicron airborne? Do we know for a fact yet? Uh, I don't think there's much doubt about that. Indeed, I mean, the previous variants have been airborne as well. Um, but Omicron, I mean, I mean, each of these variants has become progressively more transmissible. And uh, Omicron is even more transmissible. And to a large extent, I believe that is the greater amount of virus that is released from the upper airways of people uh, uh, who are breathing in and out. Hey. Uh, my understanding, I've, I've heard a lot about uh, transmission on surfaces and the fact that uh, transmission on surfaces has not emerged in any variant of, of uh, COVID. And all this hand washing and the incessant hand sanitizer especially was really to no good effect. Is that, has that been established that it really doesn't spread by surfaces? No, it, it's very difficult to establish that it does or does not. But the fact is that we know that, um, um, that sars coronavirus 2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is very stable, particularly on smooth surfaces, mm. stainless steel, plastic uh, tops, etc. I mean, it does not survive very long on paper and uh, cloth and, and uh, surfaces like that. But on smooth surfaces, it can last for many hours, uh, even for days, so that if uh, infectious virus gets deposited on such surfaces, um, uh, the virus can be there. And then, of course, the question is whether uh, you know you will transfer it uh, through your hand so the possibility is very real particularly because of the stability of the virus on surfaces but mm -hmm. absolute proof of how important that is is rather elusive and i think the airborne uh, whether it be small droplets at short range or uh, fine airborne particles at long range is probably the biggest problem we face but i don't think we should just discount uh, the the use of hand hygiene. All right, I have uh, two emails here. Um, this one is from uh, Rick, maybe uh, maybe Professor Perez or um, 
uh, maybe you can help answer some of these questions. Um, this one is from Rick. He says uh, he's uh, talking about uh, wearing double mask. He says, uh, what complete and utter nonsense. How about if we just all stop breathing? And uh, while I'm at it, why can't we simply learn to live with it? I guess he's uh, referring to COVID-19. And uh, this uh, email here is from Alonso. It says, uh, back chat, I know a number of elderly people whose uh, principal reason for finally getting vaccinated was the government announcement that the unvaccinated will be barred from restaurants. Many back chat listeners have been making this recommendation for several months. And God knows why it took the government so long to finally implement this policy. Better late than never, I guess. To further push the undecided elderly to get jabbed. Government should offer further consumption vouchers only to vaccinated locals and or give vaccinated elderly a premium payout. And uh, that email is from Alonso. So um, what do you think of the suggestion? Um, do you think uh, consumption vouchers may help? Professor Paris? Uh, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure, but I think... Um I think one of the points was made by my colleague earlier, and that is going out to where the elderlies are. I think that that is an important area that we should do more of. Um, and uh, whether whether consumption vouchers are the best uh, way of uh, uh, motivating elderlies, I'm not sure. But like I said, at the moment, there is a demand, and the vaccine centers are full. And uh, we are not, um, unfortunately, we are missing out on the enthusiasm to get vaccinated at the moment because we now don't have the capacity. So I think those are the issues that we really need to tackle immediately. Yeah, I know government did ramp a kind of lowered capacity. I know I tried to book my booster shot and it was like, you know, looking three weeks out, it was like nothing on Hong Kong, nothing. None of the centers on Hong Kong, they're all completely booked. I got something in Quintong like three weeks from now. Um, you know, Dr. Ung, is it time for the Hong Kong government to, to ramp up again on the vaccine front? It seems like demand is back. Yeah, I, I think so. They scaled down the vaccination centres before uh, because not all of them were fully occupied. So I think what the government is trying to do now is to increase the uh, coronary uh, virus vaccination centres, uh, which are across all 18 districts in, in Hong Kong right now. And on the point of consumption vouchers, I, I think we, we should be grateful that uh, the Hong Kong government is trying to do its best for the residents. See, there are two sides, carrots and stick. And the Hong Kong government has been erring to the side of carrots. But look at uh, what Singapore government did to the uh, citizens. They were saying, if you don't get vaccinated and you fall ill because of COVID, mm -hmm. you will not get subsidy when you are admitted into the hospital. And, and that could be like a 10 to 100 fold uh, cost for the citizens. And the Hong Kong government is not doing that right now. Instead, it's urging uh, our residents to get vaccinated, try not to open its borders uh, as long as possible, hoping to ramp up that uh, vac uh, vaccination percentage until it reaches a, um, an extent that could give us all herd immunity. Yeah, I mean, the province of Quebec and Canada, where I'm from, they're, they're actually talking about taxing the unvaccinated the same way you put a tax on smokers, you put a tax on alcohol because they put an undue burden on the healthcare system, do you think that kind of measure could be effective? So, so I think that uh, th this is a, um, a country level debate uh, that uh, is a tug of war, uh, not only uh, among medical workers, but uh, the government has to balance uh, businesses, uh, people's lives, uh, society and, and the interest of all people. So that uh, should be a job left uh, for the government officials to do, but they should uh, try and deliberate what other measures 
to increase this vaccination rate, and I, I mean earlier you mentioned uh, ramping up that vaccination uh, center occupant, uh, 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 the capacities, and that's uh, really doable right now. Now, we've only got a couple of minutes left. I did a lead in the intro with a mention of this new research uh, out of the UK and has been reported in the BBC about an isolate of the cannabis plant helping to improve vaccine performance. Have either of you picked up on this story and had a look at it yet? Dr. Uh, Dr. Ung, have you, did you pick up on this one? I, I don't think I have. You haven't? No? Okay. Professor Pierce? Well, yeah, I, I've heard it being reported, but what I, what I, uh, what I think I heard was that these cannabinoids, some of these uh, uh, substances seem to block the virus uh, spike protein attaching to the receptor. So it is rather than uh, increasing vaccine effectiveness, it was more as an antiviral um, uh, option. But, you know, I mean, uh, these are very basic at, at, the, at the test tube level yet. So there are many molecules that uh, potentially block the virus or maybe enhance vaccine uptake, but taking them to patients is, is, a, is a long way off as yet. So it's interesting, but um, we are far away from uh, having it uh, in the clinic. Yeah, and I, I think I should make it clear that it's not THC, the fun part of cannabis, that had the antiviral effect, but rather an isolate of the plant that you would need to isolate in a lab. So don't don't think you can run out there and get out there and, <laughs> and find a different way to sort out your... Your COVID. Uh, this has been a super interesting discussion for the first half of the show today. We've been very fortunate to have Dr. Charles Ung, who is a doctor here in Hong Kong with uh, expertise in public health from John Hopkins. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Ung. Thank you for inviting me. We also had the chair of virology from the Hong Kong University School of Public Health, Professor Malik Pierce. Thank you for joining us. And we'd just like to know in the second half of the show, we are going to be looking at vertical transmission and how the Omicron variation spreads. So stay with us to hear from Professor Yuan from the Hong Kong Institute of Engineers and Dr. Yuan uh, from the City University of Hong Kong. And then we are going to be talking about British politics and Boris Johnson's adventures in COVID and apologies. And uh, just quick, a quick look at the weather right now. I mean, it's going to be mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, and uh, the temperature at 16 degrees right now. Institute vaccination requirements to protect their workers, customers, and communities. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And we're back on Back Chat. It's uh, Friday, January the 14th. I'm Andrew Work here with Janice Wong. And we are, have two guests for the second half of the show. But before we get to them, we're just going to read off a couple of emails related to our earlier topic on COVID. I've got one from Simon. Uh, I think this, the subject line says it all. Groundhog Day. He says, I'm listening to you talk today. How many years do we have to go on like this? Your experts come on and say the same thing every day. We need to get our elders vaccinated. In the UK, 95% of older people got vaccinated within two months of the vaccine being developed. Okay, very different uh, culture over there. Janice, I think you've got an email from one of our listeners today. Well, this email is uh, more about the topic we're about to discuss, and it says uh, it's from Karen. She says, Dear Backchat, is there anything that can be done to stop the spread of the virus through pipes and ventilation in buildings? If so, can these... Can this be organized by the government so people are safer and we are prepared in future for living with the virus? Then we can start to move forward and get back to normal. And that email is from Karen. Okay, and we've got two uh, expert experts in here today to talk about this topic, including Professor Yun Pak Lung, who is the immediate past president of the Hong Kong Institution of Engineers. Good morning, Professor Yun. Good morning, Andrew and Janice. Good, Good morning. morning. 
Hey, and we've got Dr. Sean Yuan, who is uh, with the Infectious Disease Modeling Group at the Department of Biomedical Sciences at City University of Hong Kong. Dr. Yuan, Zosan. Zosan. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Okay, Janice. And uh, just one more thing before we can, uh, start our uh, discussion. Uh, just a reminder that if you want to ask questions or share your views, you can uh, leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or uh, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or just give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, as we mentioned earlier in the first half of the program, um, the possible chimney effect or uh, vertical transmission of COVID-19 at two residential blocks in Taipo and North Point have uh, sparked concerns over the high transmissibility of COVID-19. Um, maybe we can uh, um, go to Professor Yunpak Leung first. I guess um, this uh, chimney effect is not exactly new to those of us who have been living in Hong Kong for a long time because uh, we did see something similar during the SARS outbreak in 2003. Um, can you just remind us how this chimney effect works? So actually, chimney effect is a airflow phenomenon. So whereby in a place with areas having different temperatures, Air in the higher temperature area will rise up, also called buoyancy. And cooler air will come in at lower part to replenish the, the, the area to form a sort of a collection type of airflow. So for tall building, chimney effect can be found in uh, two areas, I would like to say. One is uh, in the uh, so-called drainage windpipe system. So uh, warmer dirty air inside the windpipe will rise up to the top and went out to the atmosphere. So this is a type of uh, building design. The other area is very common that we can see there are three-sided light well in adjacent flat within a floor. So where people uh, in the building design will normally put toilets and kitchen to get a bit of uh, natural light and for kitchen and toilet ventilation exhaust. So in there, relatively uh, hotter air will rise up with cold air and tramming into it. So this is a building design to help driving natural ventilation and venting uh, the, the lesser clean air to the top of building and discharge. So these both are, are building design, but it so happened that during this pandemic, uh, it will help some of these spreading of disease. So, so it basically happens when warm air rises in the pipe. It doesn't have to be the wastewater pipe. Uh, that could be because uh, uh, when imagine you have an infected patient living floor below and his secretion will normally go into the uh, central piping, uh, the uh, drainage piping discharge. But because in between there is a U-trap and normally filled with water, so it will not be directly linked in, in the air path because it's separated by the, uh, the, the, the U-trap uh, uh, sort of water inside. But somehow, if this uh, water inside the U-trap disappear, then the, the essential stack containing uh, virus-laden air, for example, will go into your flat. So people would need to do something to watch out for the U-trap to normally fill with water. Right, so let's... this is one area. The other area is, for example, that infected patient, when they cough, or the secretion will generate some uh, aerosol, it will draw out to his flat uh, via the uh, toilet exhaust fan. And because of this three-sided light well, there's a chimney effect. It will dry up this uh, virus-laden air to upper floor. While people living in the floor above, when he opened the toilet window, 
while at the same time opening his toilet uh, exhaust fan, he would draw the, the dirty air into his breath. So there are two possible ways of getting being infected if you have a patient uh, living down below you. Wow. So let's, maybe let's uh, bring in Dr. Sean Yuan. Um, Dr. Yuan? Yeah. I'm Hi, good morning. Um, good morning. Would you say the, so after listening to that, would you say the most dangerous place at home is the bathroom in terms of uh, virus transmission? Uh, sorry, are you asking me? Yes. Sean, sorry. Okay, I'm not an expert about the, like uh, those kind of physical trans- property of virus transmission, but from our study, I, I, I can give a different point of view because norm, normally like a um, high humidity don't, don't forget about the factor from humidity if we are sitting in a high relative humidity the virus particle can sustain longer in in the air however so normally higher higher relate like a related humidity is not a very good thing for us to prevent virus infection. <clears throat> However, from our study, we also show like in a very high related humidity, we can see that because the interaction between immune response to the virus, la- later it can help to reduce, reduce like a uh, severity. So the case fatality rate, what we observe in very high humidity places will also reduce. So that gives another evidence that even for people like who are doing isolation or quarantine indoor, supposedly they should still sometimes still wear masks, face masks. That will help them to to breathe like a higher, like a more humidified air. Right. And the bathroom is usually uh, the most humid place, I, I believe, in, in, in your home. So would you say that is uh, the most high-risk place at home? Uh, it, it really depends on the... There's some evidence, like people like, are transmitted doing in toilets, when they use toilets. And the toilet, they, they, they are more like, humidified, so virus can sustain in air more, more longer. So if if you're like a, if you are, your like family members are still quarantined, if they have higher risk, then, then of course when they share the bathroom, then they, they need to be more cautious. Right, um, yeah. uh, Professor Yun Pak Leung, I have this uh, email here. It's uh, from, or actually it's a message on our Facebook page. It's from John. He says vertical transmission through poor drainage systems was recorded in 2003 during SARS. It is astounding to see that poor drainage systems spread COVID in 2022. Um, yeah, how come, how come nothing's been really done with all this uh, drainage system in, in Hong Kong buildings? So I think normally the design is uh, no problem with the design if it is maintained uh, properly. So this, uh, we can observe the reason two incidents were caused by a uh, dried out uh, U-trap. So uh, the household would need to pay attention because it's been promoted since SARS that uh, normally households should uh, protect themselves by uh, putting water into the U-trap. Say, for example, uh, once every week, uh, half, uh, uh, half a litre of water into it. Try to maintain the, the water in the U-trap so the dirty air in the vent central windpipe will not go into your floor. 
I think that that is something that people uh, should observe and should seriously uh, execute it. No, I mean, I have to admit, in my building, when you talk about the situation, it sounds exactly like it. All the bathrooms and the kitchen all have their exhaust in a very narrow space that I could easily see that drawing upwards. But when you talk about the U-trap, which was the bete noire of the Amoy Gardens uh, SARS, you know, massacre in a way, um, what should we do? Do we have to go to our building management and ask them what's being done about this? Or is this something that we do at home? Are we supposed yes. to, like figure out where we have a U-trap and put something in, in the trap. So, Andrew, I think it's basically just on the uh, on the uh, U-trap on the floor. There's mm. a, a, a sort of discharge onto the, uh, from the floor of the toilet. So we just pour water into that uh, uh, drainage outlet. And that's one thing you can do. The other is trying, to, you're talking about this narrow gap of uh, adjacent building where people would dump the uh, dirty air from the toilet via the exhaust fan. So there's something that the household can do is very simple. Uh, close, whenever you use the toilet, close the toilet window, uh, switch on the exhaust fan while you open a little bit of your toilet door to maintain a door gap. So that would promote the air from the living area, which presumably would be more cleaner. Yeah. So drawing into your toilet and exhaust. Rather than if you close the door, normally people after renovation the door seal below will be closed up. That will not will stop the ventilation from uh, smoothly go on. So when you turn on the fan, close the window, and the air, the air has to be drawn from the from the drain pipe. Mm -hmm. If so happen you have a dry U-turn, you draw in the air. So right. you, simple things do, uh, open, switch on the uh, toilet uh, exhaust fan, close the window facing this uh, small gap, and then open the toilet door. Because it's so, even though it is a bit inconvenient, but during this uh, uh, high time, I think people should, should do to help themselves. Gotcha. That okay, that's, I mean, that's fairly practical. That's something that people uh, can, can, take, <clears throat> can take home and figure out. Uh, switch, switching gears a little bit, I do have an email from David, uh, and I think Dr. Yuan, this might be more in your wheelhouse, very simple one. Uh, how many hours or days does the virus live now? Uh, and where, where does it inhabit the body? And, and can it go through the digestive tract? This is more on the medical side. Um, uh, has our appreciation of the, the lifespan of Omicron changed? So, so which doctor you No, I think, I think more Dr. Yuan. This is probably more um, for the, for the uh, disease modeling. I mean, is our appreciation of, of Omicron and how quickly it infects people, how, quickly, how long it persists? Is that changing? Okay. I mean, because that would go to the question of how long we keep people in quarantine. Right, right. So the very recent study, like a, a study result which has not been peer reviewed, and so, so just released yesterday, so they, they found out that the virus can still maintain like a 10% of ability to infect people like a, a, after 20 minutes. Like a, so they, they use a, a chamber, air chamber, to, to simulate the environment. So the Omicron, the, the, the virus, the, the previous virus can, oh, sorry, the previous virus strain can sustain 20 minutes and they still maintain 10% ability to infect. And the Omicron is a very new, new virus mutation. So they, they haven't done that. So at least for the previous one, they, 
virus can still maintain activity after t- about 20 minutes. Uh, Omicron seems to can stay longer, and the the, uh, the way the, the way people think that can reduce the infectivity is to maintain social distancing, wear face masks, and, and the other things. How how do we reduce the severity? That's also another point. All right. Uh Thank you there. And um, I have another email here. Maybe uh, I'm hoping that maybe Professor Yun Pak Lung can help uh, me answer this uh, email. It's from David. Uh, He says, I note today's earlier comments. I I, I have no fear of catching Omicron virus in Hong Kong, especially since my family in the UK have caught it. And after isolation at home for five days, not quarantine, it's gone and all is well. My main fear, and I'm 78 years old and fully vaccinated, is being told I have somehow been in so-called close contact with somebody who has it and that I'm being sent to 14 to 21 days quarantine despite being tested negative. When can we isolate at home even with electronic bracelets? And uh, that's from David. Um, do you have any response to that? I mean, if uh, we are allowed to isolate at home, is it safe? I think it's not, uh, to me, I think it's, it's uh, not simply because uh, there are uh, quarantine people living uh, in your place or perhaps uh, people uh, that... Uh, are hidden uh, spreader. So I think in general, the households in Hong Kong during this uh, time should protect themselves by uh, considering doing something very simple, for example, as uh, promoted by the government, putting water into U-trap and trying to not to open the door, a uh, window facing the, uh, the sky, uh, light well, and uh, switch on the fan, open a bit of these uh, door gap a toilet door gap that would help all right and according to actually the cdc there's not specific no specific uh, infrastructure or building design requirement to have uh, people uh, having a, a home quarantine but except some of these uh, practices they need to observe don't share use of utensils and have to clean the place regularly things like that so other people in the building uh, should uh, try to do something uh, that would be easily to be done by themselves. Right, and I guess it is really a bit different. I mean, the, the email we just got uh, from David, his family is in the UK where most people live in houses, whereas uh, in Hong Kong, most people live in high-rises. So I think if it is in a, in a, in a sort of villa houses, I think it is having a, a far distant off of it. And, and if the wind pipe are properly designed, there shouldn't be many big problem with it. Okay. Well, th- well th- thank you very much, Professor Yun and uh, Dr. Yun. You have provided us with some great, uh, some great insights today. That's Professor Yun Pak Lung, the immediate past president of the Hong Kong Institution of Engineers, and Dr. Sean Yuan uh, with the Infectious Disease Modeling Group of the Department of Biomedical Sciences at City U, uh, bringing us the insights today. We are jumping into a new realm, and that is British politics. Boris Johnson's had a hard time of it of late, having to make an apology in front of the uh, the comments. We are joined now by Professor Alistair Cole, who is the head of the Department of Government and International Studies at Hong Kong Baptist University to dig into this scandal. Good morning, Professor Cole. Good morning. Good morning. So, Professor Cole, uh, do you want to give us the broad outlines of this this scandal? And, and let's get into how their hand, the, the government is handling this. Okay. Uh, that, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, 
essentially, I think the, the broad, the broad, pic, the big picture really is the specific event, uh, the garden, you know, the 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 reception, the bring your own booze. Uh, uh, Garden reception in the in the gardens of Number Ten on the 20th of May, when the uh, the rest of uh, England was in a was in a serious lockdown condition. Um, uh, depending on how one reads this, this clearly went against the government's own uh, uh, recommendations for uh, for uh, social distancing. Um, and so this has come as a as a an, an additional crisis, one might say, for the for the leadership of Boris Johnson. I mean, um, he initially uh, sort of uh, hesitated somewhat about whether you know he'd been present and then he admitted he was present at this garden party but he thought it was it was work related um there's now uh, an official inquiry being led by a leading civil servant and there are all sorts of questions of course amongst the conservative party members and more generally the british public who uh, feel uh, somewhat um, betrayed really by these double standards at the highest level of state and th- this isn't the first time this is the second kind of scandal that's erupted and, and now there's a whole full-blown inquiry into party time at number 10 Absolutely. I think, I think it, you know, the specific details of this event are, are, quite, are quite shocking, I, I think we might say. But it, it's, it's symptomatic of perhaps of a more general style of uh, uh, Boris Johnson as prime minister. And clearly, I mean, in a way, the, his strengths are his weaknesses. I mean, he, he, came, he was elected massively in December 2019 for being, in a sense, close to the people, for being a little bit anti-elite, for, for getting Brexit done. Uh, and then, of course, in a way, the, the, you know, the, 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 these episodes demonstrate really the... Uh, you know the lack of the lack of trust there is in a leader who clearly uh, has a set of double standards really um for his own behavior and for the uh, you know for the because uh, we must remember that you know the, the, the terrible covid crisis uh, everywhere in the world but in the uk um in 2020 is very very strict uh, very strict uh, regulations uh people were not really allowed to to engage in any social mixing uh not allowed to to see to see the loved ones and uh, and clearly this this you know, goes against uh, those um, those basic sentiments. So I think you know there's a there's a major issue of loss of trust here. Yeah, I mean not not just not being able to see loved ones, but not being able to see loved ones who are who are in the throes of death or okay. you know people who are dying and things like that. So I, I listened to Boris Johnson's apology in the House of Commons. I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to to yeah, it. I in did, t- yeah, yeah. You did. You did get it in total. What did you think? Of that apology. I mean, apologies are very much in vogue now with politicians. Um, what did you think of that particular apology? I think it was uh, unconvincing. I mean, I think in a sense, the uh, the people he really. I mean, it, Boris Johnson needs to uh, needs to appeal to. to particularly to two types of people. He needs to appeal to the great British public who don't believe him, you know? I mean, in a sense, there is a belief that this is, a, you know, this apology was, by, was, was getting time, was, but, but, but that was, it was not very convincing uh, apology. And so I think, that, and I think, the, I think that, you know, so I think that's the, that's the main question. I think the second thing, of course, is that the, the Conservative Party itself has the, the, a mechanism for replacing a sitting, an incumbent prime minister. And I suspect he's also... Uh, Deeply trying, you know, desperately trying to to cling on in a way, because I think you know there's a there's a moment of truth, and I think that this might be it for Boris Johnson. So I don't I don't think you know given given his past record, uh, I don't think the apology was felt to be particularly convincing. So, so what do you think was the main point of the apology? I mean, some MPs uh, said he was only apologising because he was caught, and uh, some analysts have said uh, he's just trying to buy time before the uh, outcome of an official inquiry you were mentioning just there um, into the lockdown gathering. I think it clearly 
clearly Boris Johnson's uh, trying to, to buy time, uh, manifestly so. I mean, there is there is a, the official inquiry by, by Sue Gray, who's a very highly respected uh, civil servant. Um, so that in itself, by, by some time, but of course that's an administrative inquiry in a way. Um, so, and I think, I think in a way, what Boris Johnson's trying to do there is see how things, but as he often does, uh, see how things work out, try and rely a little bit on his luck to, to ride out this, this, this episode. Um, will he succeed? Well, I mean, it's not that easy, of course, to dislodge an incumbent prime minister. Um, it's, it's, it's possible, and there, there is a tradition of it uh, in the Conservative Party in particular, but, um, you know, so it, it's, not, it's not easy. But on the other hand, I think, you know, once the Conservative Party, which is a ruthless political machine, to be frank, once the Conservative Party turns against its leader, then the, the, the days of the leader are numbered. Uh, so I guess really the, the key question, in spite of everything else, the key question is, what's the opinion amongst Conservative backbenchers? Are and there enough of them who will actually, uh, you know, bite the bullet? And is there a clear leader for somebody that would that would lead that revolution and, and want to be the one who supplants uh, Boris Johnson? I was I was listening to Peter Mansbridge uh, talking about it, and uh, you know they used a very Canadian analogy. They said, you know, if you were that person, you know, right now, you know, the the puck is on your stick and the net's open, take your shot. But but who is that person? I think that there are. I mean, there are two personalities who've emerged um, as substantial uh, politicians over the, uh, the, the, the the recent period of Conservative government. I think one is uh, Rishi Sunak, who's the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, so the, in a sense the Finance Minister, who uh, who's had a very good crisis in a sense, if, if one can say that. He, and he represents in a way a more traditional, perhaps more orthodox financial view of what conservatism represents in a sense in the British context. Uh, he also has the advantage, of course, in, advantage in a way, you know, he's, he's, um, he's clearly from, um, you know, he's clearly of Indo-Pakistani background, uh, a success story as a, a sort of British conservative success story. The other one, of course, is Liz Truss, who uh, is a foreign secretary who's, who's emerged as a powerful, uh, powerful lady. She's been at the head of negotiating the new trade agreements uh, post-Brexit. She's, she's clearly uh, popular. Um, she, she clearly is attempting to portray herself as a as a modern version of uh, Mrs. Thatcher, which is which which goes down well, it must be said, in the British, uh, well, certainly in the, in the English uh, um, uh, political repertoire. So I I think Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss, there are other outsiders, um, but I think in a sense, so either of those two candidates would, would probably actually. Uh, uh, be strong enough to emerge eventually as Conservative Prime Minister. Okay, I'm sure they're going to be tracking the uh, this inquiry very closely, which is not just looking at this particular incident, but also, uh, you know, given that there was another one, there were probably a yeah. whole pile of them that yeah, may sure. come to light. The person running the inquiry, is she a Boris Johnson Conservative loyalist? Is she a Conservative who might be willing to put a knife in Boris Johnson? Or is she part of the opposition? I mean, who, who's who's well, running the show at the inquiry? Well, basically, Sue, Sue Gray is a, is, is a leading civil servant. So, and of course, in the, in the British model, uh, civil servants are ostensibly neutral. Um, yes, Minister. Yes. She, yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, <laughs> but she, she, in a sense, she's a, this is a lady who has a pretty, you know, has a strong reputation for integrity, uh, for 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 trying to get to the get to the root of matters. She's reputed, obviously I've never met her, but she's reputed to be a, a fairly rigorous and tough. So I think, you know, if something comes out of that inquiry, that will actually put uh, 
uh, Boris Johnson in a, in, a, in a rather difficult position. I don't think we can assume, you know, that that inquiry will be, will be in any sense politically um, uh, 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 politically manipulated. You know, I think that will be a robust inquiry. And I think uh, what, what, if, if she comes out with um, a substantive criticism, then... I, I, then, in some in normal normal circumstances, in some circumstances, one might expect the the prime minister to uh, to, to to draw the conclusions of that. And I think the other thing well, I just must must mention, of course, is it's a bit, a bit of all of this. It's the revenge of the old special advisor Dominic Cummings, of course, who was the. Uh, the leading light behind the Brexit uh, campaign, who, in a sense, uh, was uh, Boris Johnson's mentor, a bit of a maverick, but a political genius in a way, who himself had to resign for COVID-related uh, misdemeanours, um, and and who is determined to to get his own back, really, on Boris Johnson. And so, I mean, he was the one who leaked uh, the details of this. Mm, and he's had his own co. He he kind of went out on COVID violations. A quick, Absolutely. quick yeah. email in our last thirty seconds or so here. We've got from Simon. What uh, the press neglects to say about the garden party is that all the people who attended were working in number 10 anyways. They were essential workers, and so spending an hour in the garden shouldn't have been a breach of any rules. I think that was a little. there was a little bit of that spin in Boris Johnson's apology, and, and he also said that he just kind of flitted in, said thank you for all your hard work, and flitted out again. Uh, you know, remains wow. to be seen. <laughs> It remains to be seen, as you say. I mean, I, I, your, 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 your correspondent makes makes a valid point, but in a sense, it remains to be seen, and that's presumably what the uh, what, one of the things that the inquiry will uh, will you know will will will, will deliver. Thank you very much, Professor Alistair Cole, yeah. Head, Department of Government and International Studies at Hong Kong Baptist University. You've been tremendous value this morning. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We're going to uh, have a quick check-in on the weather today, which looks good. Mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, sunny intervals during the day with a max temperature about 19 degrees. Moderate to fresh easterly winds, occasionally strong offshore, which is great. Outlook for the weekend, sunny periods and temperatures up a little bit. Cool again with some rain on Monday or Tuesday, but after a great weekend like that, we're going to be ready for a week of work. Thank you very much to everybody that sent in our emails today uh, and everybody listening, our producer, Yuki, our man on the board, Andy, and Janice Wong. It's been a slice. Yes, I enjoyed this. The Smart ID Card Replacement Exercise is for me and for you. If you hold the old form of Smart ID Card and were born in 1983 to 1984 or 1987 to 1988, you must replace your ID Card from January 19th to April 2nd this year. You may bring two family members or friends aged 65 or above and two persons with disabilities to replace ID Cards together. Let's build a caring and inclusive society. Remember to book ahead. And now the news with Andrew Chorofsky. Officials will take stock of the fifth wave of coronavirus infections today as they review a range of social distancing measures introduced a week ago. The review is expected to consider whether a ban on evening dining services at restaurants and the closure of venues such as bars, gyms and cinemas should continue beyond the initial 14 days. The authorities have lifted the first of two lockdowns at buildings in Tun Mun that were ordered after a nurse and a nursing student who work in clinics in the town had tested preliminary positive for COVID. Officials tested 380 residents at J.C. Place with no cases found. An operation at Hoytak Gardens is continuing. The U.S. Supreme Court has blocked President Biden's plans to make either COVID vaccinations or weekly testing compulsory at companies that employ more than 100 people. But the court approved a vaccine mandate for health care workers at government-funded facilities. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock.
Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, interpreter of Beethoven, and by oh so shy, quiet, and retiring doggy council, co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Welcome to Friday here on The Morning Brew. Well, we've got more great tracks from local bands and artists for you at 10 minutes past 10 today with producer, musician and terminal folky, Mark Rawson. Continue playing some of the music that's been recorded and produced over the last couple of years in the great bedrooms and kitchens of Hong Kong. Yeah. Now after 11, it's sports and all with Danny Hicks. Today is tennis, Djokovic, and an Australian Open preview. Also in cricket, he'll talk about the final Ashes Test match in Hobart after England's frankly surprising draw in Sydney. And of course, he's going to squeeze in a little football as well. After 12... Film critic James Marsh will be keeping things down to standard in Marshy Movie Time with reviews of new streaming stuff, The Tragedy of Macbeth, Mother Android, The Journalist, and more. Join Danny and Marshy on Facebook Live. <laughs> 